0: Thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast from Visit Aurora, from the Raptors of the Stanley Marketplace. This is the show dedicated to telling the stories of Aurora, Colorado. Hi there, I'm Dave, Senior Marketing Manager for Visit Aurora. Chaluna is the first Latin owned and operated craft brewery in Colorado located right downstairs from us in the Stanley Marketplace. Chaluna was created by Javi and Jennifer Perez as a place of community inspired by Oaxaca, Mexico, the home of Javi's grandparents. Thank you both for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having
0: us. us. Uh, Javi, can you tell us more about your grandparents and that inspiration that led to the idea of Chaluna?
2: Yeah, on my dad's side of the family, uh, his relatives, his ancestors ran a small market in the mountains. Uh, just outside of the city of oaxaca there were sapotec indians which is the indigenous people for that region and uh several times a year they would travel to mexico city by bus to purchase merchandise that they could take back to their little store in the mountains in a little sapotec community wow in uh in southern mexico it's about what would you say jennifer it's about a eight or twelve hour bus ride maybe longer to get from Southern Mexico up to Mexico City. And somewhere along the line, one of them fell off the bus and stayed there and started a family there, and my dad was a result of that. And how did that lead to
0: the concept of, of Choluna? How does that play into kind of like the, the fabric of the brand?
2: And Jennifer and I spent a lot of time living in Mexico, and when we did, we preferentially stayed in Oaxaca City, and we have friends down there. We did some work with HIV and trying to educate the Zapotec community about what is a virus, what are bacteria, why do people get sick and not Mm -hmm. come back when they travel to the United States for work and then they don't come back because they've died. And so this is uh, early 90s, late 80s that we were doing this. And we both fell in love with the culture and the people and the community of Oaxaca. When Jennifer came up with the idea to open a brewery, uh, we decided to open it here in Aurora. And the reason to open the brewery for us was because we wanted to sink roots here in Colorado and we wanted to develop a sense of community. I'm originally from Los Angeles, all my relatives are in Mexico, and Jennifer was born and grew up part of her life in New Jersey and then moved to Texas. So Colorado was new for both of us, we have kids. so we decided to fashion the brewery around a community that we both love, which is uh, Oaxaca, Mexico.
0: Backing up a little bit, 30 years ago, you two met while working together at Outward Bound. True. Um, You were instructors in New York. Uh, Was there an instant
1: spark? (laughs) You could say that.
2: Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, but it was a spark like lightning striking dry forest and blazing of fire. Jennifer was really mad when she met me.
1: Well... I was working as a consultant with Outward Bound, apart from my full-time public school teaching job in New York City, which was very demanding. But I loved my work with Outward Bound so much that when a position opened up, a full-time position with Outward Bound, I applied for that position. And over the summer, when I was not teaching, I was told, yes, we'd like you to work in the largest public high school in New York City in Washington Heights, largely Dominican neighborhood and population in that school. At that time, I did not speak any Spanish and it was ambitious, it was, it was a big endeavor, uh, but I like challenges and was up for it. So I gave my notice to my school and prepared to begin my full-time work with Outward Bound. Toward the end of the summer, I was introduced at an outward bound function, a New York City outward bound function, to Javier, who had just arrived. And then I was told, and by the way, Javier's going to be taking the job that was promised to you. Oh. Yes.
2: Unbeknownst to me, I had no knowledge know.
1: of it. He did not know that had happened. And as a result, I had no employment other than continuing to do consulting work with outward bound and in that capacity i had to take multi-day trips
2: she had to work for me (laughs)
1: with with hobby so you i projected a lot of that
0: so contention blossomed into
1: respect well this is literally over uh,
2: literally over about seven or ten days from the day we met it was out in brooklyn it was at the alpine ropes course in alpine tower jennifer was on belay holding a kid on a rope and I was walking around, they just picked me up from the airport, they said, this is so-and-so, that's so-and-so, this is Jennifer. She couldn't shake my hand because she's holding ropes and the kid is climbing, so she's like, hi. And they kept moving along saying, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, and And lo and behold, Jennifer, in my wake, was getting news that they changed her mind, they weren't gonna give her the full-time job. Outward Bound did an education program. We work with public school teachers to try to build problem-based learning curriculums between all of the subject matters that a kid has to learn. So everything, English, math, social studies, history, everything in a problem-based module. And the Outward Bound instructors were hired to show the instructors, the teachers, how to create these problem-based learning modules. Because we do the same thing out in the wilderness with adults that go out on Outward Bound trips and with kids. So about seven or 10 days go by, and the very first thing I was told to do was put together this three-day wilderness experience for a bunch of consultants, and we were gonna take them out and work through some problem-based learning techniques and just have a a team-building exercise with consultants. And Jennifer was one of those people. And I was extremely nervous. I'm kind of a gunner and uh, really focused on the job. I didn't really try to connect with anybody. Didn't have friends or family in New York City. I was living out of a backpack on the floor of somebody's apartment. Not an Outward Bound employee, just some guy in Brooklyn. And on the night before the trip, a back line rings in the office. It's about 10 o'clock at night, maybe a little earlier. And I answer the phone, and it's Jennifer. And she says, we're all, all of the instructors, we're all at this place, the Cottonwood Cafe. Uh, Happy hour has just ended. I ordered you a margarita. It's on the rocks. The ice is melting. Get her. Well, wow, that's 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 that really attractive tall woman that never talks to me. She's so shy. She's so timid. She never talks to me. And it was that she was really mad at me and hated me and decided to break the ice that night. And we've been together ever since. I did
1: not hate you. I projected my anger about being given the
2: she didn't hate me. We've had 30 years. The switcheroo. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was going to say something else. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> I appreciate that.
0: Jennifer, could you shed a little light on your time in the Peace Corps?
1: Yes. I was sent to a small country called Niger, uh, which is just north of Nigeria. Uh, not a lot of people in this country know that country because it's, it's not really on many people's radars. But it's one of the poorest countries in Africa and thus in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked in a maternal health care clinic with um, expectant mothers and then also uh, newborns. Wow. And there's a very high infant mortality rate. When I was there in '88, the mortality infant rate was, the infant mortality rate was 25%. So one in four babies, uh, mostly due to malnutrition, They would become dehydrated. And um, so I was doing education surrounding rehydration techniques. Uh, There weren't any IVs or any medical supplies like that. It was life-changing. I can imagine
0: you've you've kind of described your upbringing as fueling like a fierce independence within you, a a sense of self-reliance, yet you became a teacher and a counselor. Where did that spirit of helping others come from?
1: I would say uh, that my experience in the Peace Corps was the catalyst for it. But having grown up from the age of 14, I began working. I had been a competitive swimmer at a pretty competitive level. So a lot of discipline and then taught swim lessons. And I enjoyed doing that very much. People knew that I was a swimmer. And so in the summers when I was lifeguarding, I would do a lot of Swim, swim lessons. And so I enjoyed working with kids in that way. But then working as a Peace Corps volunteer, you truly realize how gratifying it is mm. and how much you get out of helping others. I mean, not that I wasn't giving anything, but I definitely felt like I was getting more out of it. So I would say that experience imparted in me the desire to continue to work in a service capacity. I feel um, very lucky to have spent so so many years in public schools and uh, I still stay in touch with a lot of my students and um, I enjoy that very much also.
0: And Javi, you to this day work as an ER physician serving veterans at the Denver VA. How does one transition at least partially from that life to the life of a small business owner?
2: You know, working in the ER is customer service, just like working in the brewery or a restaurant or a shoe store, you have to learn how to leave your ego at home, how to approach your client your patient, your customer, and find out what it is that they want, what they need, and see what you can fulfill for them. It's a different level of education. There's different services that we provide in the ER, of course, but it's really a service industry job. And I'm often reminding residents or attendings or nurses, uh, if they grumble about a certain case, a certain kind of patient, I remind them, you know, you made a personal choice to go into customer service and become a public servant. And you have the option of leaving it if it no longer satisfies you, if you don't find it gratifying like Jennifer's describing. You're, you're performing a service and you should be receiving some positive energy for what you're putting out there. And so working at the brewery is very similar. You, you have customers, you want to know what are your wants, what are your needs, what can I fulfill, how can I make you feel better. And Jennifer is of the same ilk with her service and her counseling and her work in Niger. How can I help you? Or the tagline that Jennifer gave us for the brewery, focus on the good, the good that you can do for the person in front of you, stranger or otherwise, the good that you can do for your neighborhood, your state, your country. And uh, yeah, so ER and brewery, very similar, different medicine, but very similar. Interesting. So you have two individuals with hearts for
0: service, that go into the service industry. You you take the leap and you start Shaluna. You you have offers to invest in your idea, but you really wanted that autonomy. What Was there fear that outside influence would somehow compromise your vision?
2: We weren't really threatened by it. We just never considered it. Jennifer no. and I were fortunate enough to have the means with which to start the business ourselves. And we knew what we wanted from it and our employees. And uh, we stand at the helm We did
1: have a lot of offers of investment and still have people offer, but I believe what you're saying resonates to me in terms of staying true to our vision of what it looks like and... If we were able to do it, as one customer pointed out to me one day when I was working really hard at the brewery, he said, you seem like you have a lot of skin in this game. And, uh, and it's true, there's something to be said about risking what you've worked for, for 30 years. We don't come from means, we don't come from money. The money that we invested into our business, we've worked for Mm -hmm. for 30 years. When you do that, you do bust a move every day um, because you do have a lot of skin in the game. And I think it makes us work harder and not move away from it at all.
2: If I can, I'll give an example for just last night. Uh, Jennifer and I try to lead by example both as a counselor and an emergency physician and as business owners at Choluna specifically we try to lead uh, by example and we share our stories with our staff in in a, in a way hoping to encourage them to be the same way and they are. Uh, last night there was a lady sitting at Barcel 2 and she was by herself and I approached her, greeted her, offered her a, a pretzel She was super happy. She didn't know what she wanted to order. She first time there and and none of us had ever seen her before. Turned out she had recently moved. She decided that she was so isolated because of the pandemic, she did a a three-week retreat in Mexico where nobody was allowed to have any form of electronics. They all had to be face-to-face for communication and had activities for three weeks near the ocean. She said it was beautiful. and It was so nice to get back into human contact and interaction for three weeks. And then she left that. So that must have been really sad. She left that Mm -hmm. and moved here. And last night was her first time coming into the Stanley Market marketplace and she said she just had that three weeks to reconnect and now she's here and has nobody and i was hanging out talking with her giving her her pretzel and helped her pick her beer and when she told me that whole story i said wow what a perfect place for you to come in because the whole reason we exist is to help people find a place a sense of belonging and i told her about run club and zumba trivia night there was a book club going on last night i showed her that there was so much going on and i told her just Come here, we'll connect face to face with you and help you meet people and build community and find friends.
0: I mean, it would be easy to throw some decor up with some Spanish names and call yourselves a Latin brewery, but but you really do embrace local music and art and cultural performances and expressions and a community gathering place. Uh, Chiluna was always meant to be so much more than a brewery, wasn't it?
2: Correct. Correct. It was meant to be a community gathering place, a place to find friends, build relationships and feel a sense of belonging. And I got to take my garage hobby of brewing beer, go through some training with professional breweries and start making it on large scale in a professional brewery. So hobby to career what do they say about that? Best way to ruin your favorite pastime is do it for a living? Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's usually
0: the business side that diminishes yeah. that flame. It's not the art. It's it's, it's the true. rigmarole, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what initially attracted you to Aurora and more specifically the Stanley Marketplace?
1: That's a great question.
2: Actually, the city of Aurora was really open arms, welcoming and encouraging and loved the idea. I had
1: read an article about the city of Aurora trying to attract breweries in particular, uh, to compete with Denver for the many, many breweries that Denver has. Right. And I reached out to Tim Gunurka, who's retired now from the city, but he was the retail specialist. And so connected with him and then started looking around at spots in Aurora.
2: And we also had something that we've saw every single day that attracted us to Aurora. The drive between our house and the parts of Denver that we were frequenting forced us through a section of Aurora that Jennifer started calling the UN Corridor, the United Nations mm-hmm. Corridor. Because as we would drive through, she would see, recognize Africans. She would say, wow, I saw that tribe in Africa. And they would. there were people walking on the street in their African garments. Uh, we passed a lady once she had a case of bottled water the sort you get like at a big chain store Mm -hmm. a whole case of bottled water balanced on her head and shopping bags in each hand and she's walking down the street as if she was coming from a market in africa and we were so inspired by all of the refugees that we saw the cambodian lotion mong all the different african tribes middle eastern in Aurora that it was part of what we talked about when we said, let's open up a place called Choluna and try to try to bring in people that might need help feeling like they're part of this community in the United States. Aurora is the the biggest immigrant and refugee
0: community in Colorado. Many housed within just a couple of mile radius, which is a real value proposition for for Aurora. Diversity is is one of our strengths. Um, there's a real sense of community here at Stanley Marketplace. Chaluna is a, an anchor of that. One thing I love about Chaluna is you you encourage your customers to grab food for some of the some of the great restaurants here in the Stanley Marketplace. and and eat it in your space. What do you think it is about this place in particular that fosters such a collaborative spirit?
1: Independent business owners, uh, just like Javi and I, and the commitment to keeping independent small businesses in here. The majority of the business owners in this building are very hands-on they're very involved i'm looking at the pilates studio with the owner of the studio teaching a class and when you have that kind of a buy-in you get a lot of great energy especially when you feel secure Mm. and able to meet your financial obligations and those are many. So the pandemic was difficult for everyone. But I think we can all look out and see a lot of development happening in terms of apartments and condominiums being built. And so that momentum coming out of the pandemic, not quite out, but people are back out again and feeling optimistic about the future together is lovely.
2: And we, we know the business owners in here and we know how stressful it is to own a business and we speak to them and when we're at work at Chaluna and we're doing a lot of activations with live music or organizing a 5k uh, or doing art night whatever it that is we're doing to activate we always think of our friends that have their businesses in here and how can we help them and so Uh, We try to encourage people to eat and we tell them, go get your food over there. Go buy it over here uh, because it helps allay some of the stress of our friends who decided to open businesses
0: here in Aurora. Javi, you've described Chaluna as a production brewery and taproom specializing in super clean and delicious German style beer with a Latin flair. Can you describe a bit how you marry those concepts?
2: Yeah. Yeah. the, The super clean is mostly a reference to sterile technique from Medicine that you have to be very mindful of what you're doing and what you've touched before you touch a person Especially if you have to cut them open and in the brewery it's easy enough to uh, Wear a pair of gloves drop a gasket drop something on the floor pick it up shake it off Think it looks clean and then go ahead and use it But we we don't do that once something is no longer clean it goes in a dirty bucket Uh, most breweries I'm sure practice the same way, uh, but I'm a little OCD about it So we're, we're extremely cautious things have to be be clean sanitary as if they're going into the OR and so that's the process side of the house and that's everything hoses clamps the ingredients Uh, the end product that we hope for is a really clean delicious beer that doesn't really have any after uh, flavors off flavors from contaminants anywhere in the production side of it Uh, the German side would be the lagers that I love simple easy drinking lagers and the Latin influences, we, we might take a, a light lager and put guava puree into it. Mm. Uh, we have another one that's uh, Chilango. It's a wit beer that has mango puree and some habanero chili in it. Really well balanced so that it's not spicy. It doesn't burn your mouth. But uh, we take the ideas from desserts, street foods, meals that my mom or my grandparents might've cooked ideas from those, uh, dishes. And we try to put them into, uh, our beers without being weird. So we try we try not, you know, like you're never going to find a carnitas, you know, stout.
1: But we do try to educate people about how lagers wound up in Mexico. Yeah, Every Mexican brand of beer that you can think of Pacifico, Dos Equis, Modelo,
2: Carta Blanca,
1: Blanca. Los
2: X. Everything started from the uh, invasion of Mexico. Actually when the Spaniards went into Mexico they introduced Spanish beers and rice and not many people really think about that but rice is not Mexican. Hmm. Rice is Spanish and the Spaniards when they colonized in about the 1500s introduced rice and their king, Carlos Quinto, Carlos V, issued the first license for brewing beer in Mexico to one of the people who colonized Mexico. So we had a Spanish brewery and Spanish rice, and they became part of Mexican culture. In the 1800s, the French came across on sailboats. Uh, They had an Austrian Habsburg prince, Maximilian, and a Belgian princess, Charlotte. They came across through the Gulf of Mexico to Veracruz. They invaded, Uh, they took over Mexico, they set up an emperor, Maximilian, and his empress, Carlota, And they ruled and one of the first things they did was bring over Austrian, Bavarian, German brewers and started making beer. On my mom's side of the family, we have German engineer who emigrated to Mexico City and started my mom's side of the family, Mm. the Koch, K-O-C-H, side of my name. But uh, that's it. They set up all of the brewing industry and introduced brewing uh, in Mexico and we have Mexican lagers because of our historic uh, colonizers and we still have it to this day. So that's the idea of Mexican lagers. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you for
0: sharing that and breaking that down. Um, Javi, can you elaborate a little bit about you know being a, a, an ER physician and how the, that attention to detail and precision, how that translates
2: to your career as a brewmaster? Yeah, as, a, as a brewer, I have to take my hat off to people that are way better, way smarter about the science of brewing yeah. than me, but certainly understanding the science. You have to know that in medicine, if you have to give a kid, a shot of antibiotics. You calculate out the milligram dosage of antibiotic by the kilogram weight of the child. And you can't add a gram or take off a gram or add an extra 500 or, it has to be really thoughtful, really precise. If you're doing a a chemical drip into somebody that's intubated, there's a very precise amount of medication that is useful. A little too much might harm or kill them. Not enough is useless. So you have to be really mindful and intentional about what you do in medicine. There's no just grab five aspirin and swallow them, you'll feel fine. And it's the same in brewing. There are certain concentrations of chemicals that you use when you're cleaning, passivating a tank, Uh, there's, calculations you can do for the alpha acid content of a hop, knowing how much hot water you have, how much to add to get a certain outcome and bitterness. Uh, there are degrees Plato for the sugar content of the liquid that you're creating in the wart and knowing how to measure it, when to measure it, how to stop, why to stop, how to calculate out your final gravity, uh, the target alcohol value of your beer. It's all, it's all math. It's fractions. Multiplication. You know, we have to consider pressure and temperature when we're carbonating beer, which is Boyle's law that we all learned in physics in high school, and thanked the Lord for the day we never had to think of it again after the <laughs> quiz. But Boyle's law, we have to understand when we're carbonating beer. And if you if you try to cut corners, your beer's undercarbonated and flat, or overcarbonated and foaming out of the taps. You're too hoppy. You have too much fruit. You, you just have to be mindful.
1: There are so many variables when it comes to producing beer. And there's so much science behind every decision surrounding the variables that it requires a very meticulous and detail-oriented person doing it to produce delicious beer.
0: With that nature of being meticulous, has there ever been a recipe with no matter how much care you took, it just wasn't quite
2: right? There was. A batch of beer that was brewed by a brewer who worked for me and uh, we have certain quality control every good brewer has some quality control steps that they take before they package a beer before they take it from a tank and put it into kegs or cans or bottles and uh, it's a there are chemicals that have to be tested to see if they're present in the beer and and in which concentration and there are certain amounts that we allow for too high not ready keep it in the tank. Uh, We had one batch of beer that was on keg and we were serving And several people came up and made a comment to me. Just patrons came and made a comment about this beer that we'd had for a while, but they came and commented on on something that was different about the beer this time. And sure enough, they were correct. There was something different about it. And I went back and spoke with uh, my brewer and had to actually sit down and go step by step by step from Mm. what was the temperature of the water that went into the mash and what was the crush like. And we went through everything and finally I got to the point where the brewer said i didn't do that test i ah. assumed it was ready so i packaged it i skipped the test and i'm like you skipped the test for a chemical that basically ruins the entire batch of beer and we dumped it yeah we dumped the entire batch of beer down the drain because i i don't want to have people drink the beer it wasn't toxic right but when people can tell there's something different about it some of those people are going to know that it's wrong there's something wrong with it and it's embarrassing so we dumped it
1: well, we strive to be consistent right. with the beers that we continually have on tap. And um, that is challenging for sure. Uh, but yes, we test all of our beer.
2: <laughs> there are there's some, there's some breweries that you can visit all across the country and you walk in and they have a beer that might be listed as, this is an exaggeration, but they might be listed as a dark chocolate pitch, black, super heavy molasses beer. And when you take a sip of it, it tastes like white vinegar. Mm. White vinegar with, with a hint of caramel in it. And you're like, wow, that's not at all what they advertised. And it's because there's an infection in their lines, there's an infection that gets into their tanks, and then the beer is soured, and they went ahead and put it out on the market as this thing that it is not. They could change the description and say they did it intentionally, And a lot of breweries can get away with that. But if it's just a little wrong, if there's something wrong, and people can tell that there's something wrong, then I just don't really want to put my name on it and put it on the shelf.
0: Well, let's talk about something that's extremely right—the Chilongo. It's my favorite. It's got that subtle hint of habanero. It brings all the flavors to life. What are some of your favorite offerings? What are your? I know they're all your babies, but what are your personal
2: favorite flavoring offerings? Uh, Chilongo has definitely been a favorite of ours since the day we made it. We made that right when we first opened, and anytime we go to a beer festival. We've taken chilango with us, and without fail, people come back and they want more of it, and the keg gets killed, and we get a lot of really nice comments because of that subtle mm-hmm. spice to it. Uh, so chilango has been a favorite.
1: Yes, and um, I would add Coco Choco, which is fashioned after a Mexican sweet called a um, uh, cocada. Okay. Cocada is a lot like uh, macaroon dessert here, um, so it has... It's a porter using debittered malt. So your traditional porter is gonna be more like a burnt toast. Right. Using the debittered malt takes that burnt flavor down. So it's still a dark porter, but it's not as bitter. And then we add vanilla, coconut, and cacao in a very balanced manner that doesn't make it overly sweet. It's quite, quite delicious.
2: It's like a, cho- a dark chocolate sans sugar version of a mounds bar it's not too sweet it's delicious that's the song from the (laughs) mounds and peanut (laughs) do you remember that almond joy oh yeah a long time ago it's not too sweet anyway so chupaguava has been a hit we love chupaguava that's a blonde ale and we put guava into it and we're very intentional about the fruit that we select. We like to use the tropical fruits from Mexico. Uh, if you look along the equator, a lot of the same fruit from Mexico is found in Thailand mm. and Africa. So it's not specifically Mexico, but for me growing up, it's the stuff I grew up eating and, uh, so tropical fruits, but we want them to persist. Either they have to persist with flavor or with smell. If the aroma is missing and there's really no flavor, then there's no point in putting it on the label. So we, we're very intentional about the fruit that we select. It has to persist in the smell and add something to the beer that's really positive. So I we love using mango.
1: I would also add that in the summer months, when it's been almost 100 degrees, one of my favorite concoctions is our hard seltzer, Clarita, uh, with which we ferment. We ferment it with the German
2: or <laughs> wine yeast. <laughs> really? So, yeah, Sorry. so it's not beer yeast. Beer yeast imparts smells and flavors to the beer intentionally. You pick the yeast based on what you want the yeast to put into the beer. It doesn't just make alcohol. It makes smell and flavor for the beer. So for our heart seltzer we use a german wine yeast because we want it to be nothing like beer and it winds up smelling like a, a nice Gewürztraminer or champagne with it's some ice cubes melted in it
1: it's very dry and crisp and i like to have a little bit of our slush
2: mango slushy okay
1: alcoholic slush so i do a mango slush or lately i've been using our lemonade slush so about a quarter of the slush and then top it off with the hard seltzer. It's so refreshing, delicious.
0: Care to brag about your team a little bit? I know you've got a, a dedicated crew right below us that, yes. that come to work every day and put a lot of passion into what they do.
2: Yeah. Yes. I'll say number one, I have a, a woman that works uh, at the brewery who speaks French fluently and Spanish fluently and a little bit of uh, Zarma, which is a native language in a village in Niger, Africa. Wow. And she did all those things to be a better customer service person Mm. and that's Jennifer. And I admire her language ability like there's no tomorrow. It's incredible.
1: We have great employees and we feel very lucky to have them. We have um, Ugo who is originally from Chile, the country of Chile, and he was our first hire. We um, asked him to come to work for us.
2: Our son hired him.
1: Well, we found him, we met him at a restaurant where he worked, and we patronized the restaurant. Yeah, we got we, to know
2: him there. We frequented a restaurant, and our son, who was at the time in middle, middle school, understood what we were looking for with Chaluna, and our, our little son said, why don't we hire Ugo? And I said, What well, what about Ugo do you like? And he said, well, he's always really friendly. He knows our names. He always comes over to say hi to us and serve us, even if we're not in his section of the restaurant. He makes sure that we have water, and he's always really good to us. And I said, is that what you think we should have at Chiluna? And he said, yeah, we should have people like Ugo. So we said, okay. Why don't you offer him a job when he comes back to the table? So he did. Wow. He told him we we're opening the brewery and we want you to work for our family. And, and literally, Ugo accepted the job before we'd even broken ground and started construction. And he's, was, uh, he's been with us ever since.
1: The restaurant was closing right around the time that we opened. So I think the timing worked out well. And yeah, he's great. We have never... Put out an advertisement for hiring um, it's always word of mouth mm. and um, that has worked well for us so we feel very lucky
0: just a couple of questions for you and thank you for for spending time with us today uh, a lot of places claim to be hubs for for great breweries but you know colorado seems to have some authority in that space what has your experience been like in the in the brewing community here and is it is it competitive is it a dog eat dog experience or is it communal and creative communal and creative
2: it's we're we're all friendly a lot of us are friends it's very supportive if uh brewery runs out of grain they call me we let them have some bags knowing that we'll get them back later if we've run out of chemicals sometimes for cleaning we make a phone call in fact today jennifer and i are going to be returning a keg washer our keg washer broke and uh the uh, people over at Comrade Brewing Company, David Lynn is the owner over there, and Marks, his uh, partner and brewer, partner at the brewery and, and uh, brewer, allow us to go over there and grab their keg washer and haul it over here to use it. And yeah, I would say it's extremely communal and supportive. Yeah,
1: very nice people for
0: sure. Where where do we go from here? What's the future of Cheluna in your vision? I want to be
2: the first brewery on Mars, yeah, there you Elon, go. if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I have some low-pressure kegs that won't explode in your spaceship. <laughs> Contact me five 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 five. <laughs> no, we uh, we love what we're doing here. We're going to um, we're in the planning stages right now of building a two-story structure outside on uh, in the some of this open space that's out on the property. Uh, it, the hope being that we'll have a place to. Uh, welcome Coloradans who love being outdoors even when it's cold and snowy. So we want that. It's also something to try to help keep us alive if there's ever another pandemic wave that requires outdoor only, no indoor, with good airflow. So we're doing it uh, partly for that. And so to attract people out here that's something that Jennifer and I're working on and again as, as the only people invested in the brewery it's you know something that we just have to weigh the the risk and the benefit the return on investment and consider how to proceed but we yeah, want to give that's our, our expansion. clients Yeah, we want to give our clients a new really cool space.
1: We've also um, been speaking with a few bigger breweries about the potential of having them help us can Mm. some batches of our most popular beer. So that is also in the pipeline.
2: Yeah, we'd love for people to be able to grab a case of Lowrider. Our Mexican lager, Lowrider, our original beer, still one of our flagships. Um, People love it. We would love for people to be able to just grab a case of that and take off with it for a weekend in the mountains or a party at their house. We
1: don't have the space in our brew house currently to have a canning line. Yeah. So we cannot do it ourselves we would have to contract with a bigger brewery to do it. And we have a couple in mind who have actually offered to help us do it, so.
2: And if there's anybody out there in the listening community that has a piece of land with a building on it and they don't know what to do with it, give us a call, (laughs) 555-5555. We'd love to expand and get some bigger equipment and put a canning line in there, 555
0: Public servants, scientists.
2: Entrepreneurs
0: and cultural stewards. Shameless beggar. You can
1: say it, we're just old.
0: No. Sh- shameless beggar. Not at all. Not
2: Operators at all. are standing by at five, 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 <laughs> five, 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 five.
0: Javier, Jennifer, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I could talk to you for hours. Thank you guys so much for taking the time appreciate today. Appreciate Thank you, it's
1: the, our pleasure I, to be here. We appreciate your time and your beautiful questions. Well, thank you. You obviously research very well and come very prepared and I appreciate that.
0: I'm very lucky to do what I do. Thank You're you. You're good at it. <laughs> Visit Chaluna inside of the Stanley Marketplace. You can visit them at chaluna.com. And make sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Their social media is incredible. You can find them at Chaluna Brewing. And please
2: visit Aurora.
0: Hey, thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast. Visit Aurora is the official destination marketing organization for the city of Aurora, Colorado and acts as the primary liaison between meeting planners and hotel partners. As Aurora's convention and visitors bureau, Visit Aurora's mission is grounded in showcasing Aurora as a premier destination for meetings, business, and leisure travel. Visit Aurora represents more than 75 plus hotel properties with 13,500 plus guest rooms and more than 1 million square feet of meeting space, including Colorado's largest resort, Gaylord Rockies Resort and Convention Center. As Colorado's third largest city, Aurora is located minutes away from Denver International Airport and showcases mountain views, memorable meeting spaces, and 250 plus international eateries that offer a unique experience for each and every visitor. As the gateway to the Rockies, Visit Aurora's role in the local community goes beyond marketing the city as a destination. The Visit Aurora team is here to assist you with your Colorado visit, from facilitating your meeting, event, or convention, to helping you discover local flavor and attract Go beyond the boardroom in Aurora, Colorado. For more, visit us at visitaurora.com.